This is a Giving Thought podcast from the Charities Aid Foundation's think tank, Giving Thought. You're listening to the Giving Thought podcast. This is the podcast from CAF's think tank, Giving Thought, in which we look at big issues and themes relating to philanthropy and the work of civil society. I'm your host, as ever, Rod Davis, uh, and this is episode 49, so we're closing in uh, ever more on the half century. Um, Apologies first for the slightly longer than usual delay uh, between the last episode uh, and this one. Uh, As I explained to anybody who follows me on Twitter, uh, it was just in the interest of not clashing with the release of CAF's annual UK giving research, um, because I thought uh, it might make sense to to try and smooth things out a little bit and postpone the podcast by a week, which I hope is okay. Um, And a lot's happened since uh, we've last uh, been on here on the podcast. Um, And what I wanted to do this week was um, slightly different to usual. So it's not an interview, um, but also rather than taking a particular theme and exploring it, um, as we've done in in previous issues, editions where it's just me sitting here, um, I actually wanted to take an event that's happened in the last few weeks as a starting point, because I think it's raised a lot of really interesting issues that we've covered before on the podcast and some new ones uh, and also kind of sparked a lot of debate about philanthropy Um, and that story is the the story of the burning down of Notre Dame uh, Cathedral uh, in Paris which I'm sure everybody is aware of Uh, and even more so than that the response from donors and philanthropists both big and small uh, in France and beyond um, and the, the subsequent debate and criticism uh, that has arisen about whether that response is uh, to be applauded or whether it's something that we should be concerned about. So uh, I was actually on holiday when uh, when this uh, story broke, um, which was probably good because it meant I didn't spend the entire day on uh, Twitter, um, but it gave me some time to stew on it. So when I did get back to work, I then subsequently wrote an extremely long <laughs> Twitter thread, which actually broke the uh, Twitter threading tool, um, uh, and put that out, which you know lots of people seem to, to find interesting. So what I wanted to do today is pick up on some of the things that I highlighted in that thread, uh, partly in the interest of recycling, um, but also to kind of expand on some of them, because uh, even at 280 characters, um, Twitter's not necessarily the best place to get across a lot of new ones. And also because the story um, basically brought to light a lot of my favourite topics about philanthropy. So questions like whether philanthropy is primarily about empathy or whether there's a desire for rationality, um, what the justification for offering tax breaks on philanthropy is, um, what the relationship between philanthropy and taxation more broadly is, what the appropriate role of the state versus philanthropy is and all these sorts of things. Um, So before we launch into what some of those issues are, it's probably just worth saying briefly what the actual story was. Um, So I won't go into any particular detail. It's pretty kind of of easy to explain in the the most basic terms. There was an enormous fire, um, not deliberate. I think it was fairly early on established, uh, an accidental fire um, during some repair works at Notre Dame Cathedral which burned down uh, in a devastating way a kind of large part of the cathedral and left pretty much only the the exoskeleton um, surviving. And then very quickly after that, there was a huge um, outpouring of uh, kind of charitable response as people pledged money for the the rebuilding and repair work. Um, And I think within a couple of days, it was over 750 million euros or, um, you know, virtually... Uh, a billion dollars I think it it tipped Um, and some of that came or a lot of it came from just you know normal uh, average uh, French people and probably people elsewhere in the world who shared a a kind of cultural uh, identity with Notre Dame but also some very notable gifts from major donors in France from some of the sort of biggest French business dynasties as well like um, L'Oreal, Louis Vuitton uh, and those sorts of people. 
Um, and, you know, the way in which this story was reported, um, it was probably immediately the the response from, from the media and from people generally was a kind of um, reasonably positive one of saying, oh, well, that's great. It's, and it's amazing to see how much uh, love everybody has for this iconic building. And it's wonderful that they want to chip in to support it. But quite quickly, um, I think that some of that uh thinking and and uh and kind of reporting uh tran- uh translated into more of a sense of criticism or asking questions about whether we should actually be that happy about this and whether it actually raised some issues about the way in which philanthropy works its role within society today uh and kind of the the expectations that we place on it which played into a lot of the debates that have been brewing over the last year or so in the US and elsewhere which we've talked at length about on the podcast and I think because those debates are already out there some of this criticism sort of gathered speed more quickly Um, and the three broad criticisms that I want to sort of highlight which aren't necessarily all of the ones that were raised but the ones that that I kind of want to pick up on in the podcast so the, the first one it was probably the most prevalent, which is essentially um, it's great that we can, uh, you know, all dip into our pockets to raise money for Notre Dame when this happens. But the scale of money pledged for this shows that there is sort of untapped philanthropic potential out there. So why on earth can't we do similarly when it comes to uh, other issues? And particularly, I think in this case, um, that was acute because what we're doing is talking about, you know, yes, an iconic building, but essentially sort of bricks and mortar. And people were contrasting that with issues of poverty and injustice that result in the actual loss of human life and saying, you know, why is it that we struggle so hard to raise money for those when people will uh, stump up money for a building? The second criticism was around the the sort of reward that philanthropists, particularly the sort of higher um, net worth philanthropists and the kind of elite donors, get for that. So here the criticism was, well, it's great that some of these rich people in France and beyond want to give money to Notre Dame, but you know, in doing so, they seem to be getting an enormous amount of additional recognition and social status and gratitude and praise. So actually, they're getting quite a lot back in return. So is this really altruism? And, you know, uh, to what extent um, are they kind of getting as much out of it as they're putting into it? And then the third criticism is a couple of linked ones. This is essentially around taxation. So partly this is people saying, well, you know, it's great that philanthropists uh, are willing to stump up the cash to pay for um, repairing Notre Dame. But the fact that that we are expecting them to do so or think that that's appropriate raises some really worrying questions about the role of the state because a lot of people would say well if we genuinely value uh, this building uh, so highly and it's of uh, obvious public and cultural value then it, the responsibility of the state and the French government um, to, to repair it uh, after the fire. And also linked to that, I think, uh, a question about the the treatment uh, through the tax system of the donations that are being made to Notre Dame. So this is the kind of question. There's, there's one set of issues which are about philanthropy and its relationship to taxation, but then there's another set of questions which are about the taxation of philanthropy. And here people kind of raising uh, criticisms similar to the ones about social status, but saying actually a lot of these donors are getting a lot back not just in terms of social status and recognition, but actual uh, money off their tax bill through giving money uh, to Notre Dame. So those are kind of the three broad criticisms that I want to look at. So let's um, take those in in turn. Um, So the first one is the question of whether the response to Notre Dame, um, we should view it more negatively because it shows something about the way in which philanthropy is not responding to, to other causes. So it's not necessarily that the response to Notre Dame itself is bad, but that it highlights something more broadly about a failing of philanthropy. Um, and I think we, it's good to subdivide that into two slightly different criticisms. So one is a sort of general one about philanthropy itself being the problem because it's, you know, people sort of saying this shows that philanthropy is inherently irrational. It's not responsive to need. It's dictated by emotional and cultural factors. So actually, as a tool to address the needs of society, 
um, is sort of woefully inadequate. And then the other criticism, which is more to do with the specific nature of uh, of the cause in question, i.e. Notre Dame and the fact that it's a building and it's a cultural icon, is around the sort of specific awkwardness that comes into the equation when you're talking about arts and culture because people say, you know, yes, they're very nice in themselves and obviously we kind of, everybody values these things to a greater or lesser degree, but when stacked up against a single human life, the value of even the most, you know, wonderful uh, cultural artefact or building uh, amounts to nothing. So people kind of bringing a moral dimension uh, into the argument. So taking the first one of those first, the, the sort of question of, you know, the accusation that philanthropy is irrational and therefore um, not really a suitable tool for meeting the needs of society. I think in terms of the first half of that statement that philanthropy is irrational, uh, it's hard to argue against. I mean, essentially, yes, philanthropy uh, is irrational. And that stems from a fact that we've discussed many times on the podcast before and is kind of one of my favourite central points about philanthropy to, to think through, which is what does it mean that philanthropy is at one and the same time about the individual choices of donors, which are obviously driven by a range of kind of unconscious biases, psychological factors, emotional factors, cultural factors, but also then uh, at an aggregate level is something that we look to as a means for redistribution within society. So at that individual donor level, that's where the irrationality lies. So again, you know, there's all kinds of findings from behavioural economics about the factors that actually uh, result in people giving more money to charity or behaving more altruistically, and a lot of them uh, are definitely not conscious factors and they definitely aren't rational. So as mentioned uh, many times before, one of the best known experiments along these lines uh, is around eye imagery. So People, uh, when they are being watched by other people, um, tend to feel more of an obligation to act altruistically or to give to charity. And that extends uh, to slightly artificial situations where you put pictures of eyes on the wall or paint pictures of eyes on the wall. Or you can even do it without the imagery by priming people. So if you, for instance, prime people with um, religious concepts of an omniscient being um, in the right experimental circumstances, it results in them giving more to charity because um, it gives people a sense uh, that they're being watched. And actually, there's at least one paper I've read where you can induce greater pro-social behaviour by telling people that the building in which uh, they're doing the experiment is haunted. So you see, all, all these sorts of things show that there are these underlying sort of psychological factors about self-image and how we are perceived by others that drive charitable giving. And in a kind of in a more real-world setting, that's pretty obvious. You know, one of the big uh, factors in the whole history of philanthropy has been about the role that it plays in social status. And whether that is explicit or implicit in the motivations of a donor, there are plenty of examples in which uh, a, don a part of the motivation for philanthropy has been a desire to either further or to cement one's status within uh, society, and that continues to this day. But I think there are a couple of specific features about the, the Notre Dame example um, as well uh, that kind of um, explain uh, what, um, why, why that irrationality is kind of particularly likely uh, to have happened. Uh, well, I guess even why it's not necessarily as irrational as, as all that, and it's not just about these kind of underlying unconscious biases. So one is that... In making the distinction between Notre Dame uh, as as an example and you know wider issues like poverty or social justice, we're not just comparing the causes themselves. We're actually comparing the nature of the problem and of the solution. So in uh, in the case of Notre Dame, uh, it's a both a finite problem: a building has burnt down, and a finite solution. Uh, we need to get enough money and bricks and whatever to build it back up again to uh, the position that it was in before it burned down. But if you contrast that with something like poverty, even if people feel the same you know, emotional pull towards issues of poverty, actually poverty as an issue you know, unless presented in, in a sort of deliberately finite way, is is sort of sprawling. And it's not necessarily clear to a lot of people that there is any such thing as a solution to poverty. There are things that can be done to address some of the symptoms of it. There are longer term uh, efforts that can be made to address underlying structural inequalities and the like. But it's very far from being the same thing as 
here is an amount of money that will buy the resources we need to put a building back together. And from the point of view of the psychology of a donor, the appeal of being presented with a finite problem uh, to which your uh, contribution to the solution can also be effectively sort of measured, um, you can see the appeal of that. Um, I think there are other things um, around issues like power dynamics. So, you know, one of the things I often think um, when you're talking particularly about elite philanthropy is that um, there's an inherent power imbalance in philanthropy between the, the people who have the resources and those who don't have the resources. That's sort of the whole point of it is to affect some sort of um, transfer of those resources. But in many cases, that doesn't necessarily result in uh, a transfer of power. Um, so there are still kind of awkward dynamics at play there. Now, I think in the case of something like arts and culture, that tends to be a lot less problematic because the likelihood is that the people who are moving um, in the circles on the beneficiary side, so the people who run an art gallery or are responsible for Notre Dame or even you know, kind of young musicians or actors, are more likely to be in sort of similar social class or or able to relate to the people on the donor side. So you can understand, you know, a donor to to an opera house or to um, an orchestra would be quite happy to come and mix with the uh, musicians or actors or you know, singers who are the recipients of of their their donations. In a way that it's sort of difficult to see the same situation applying if you're talking about something like you know, homelessness or food poverty, where even if a donor gives very generously to those for all of the right reasons, the likelihood of them being able to mix easily with the people who are in receipt of, of those donations, both because the, the people who are in receipt of those donations may feel uncomfortable about it, and also the just the sort of differences of life experience and social uh, class of those people is going to like to make it very difficult. So I think there is something about that and and if it's at all um true that awareness of those power dynamics may be a either a kind of limiting factor in terms of philanthropy uh, towards certain causes or a kind of motivating factor for philanthropy towards other causes then in the case of um Notre Dame it seems to me very much uh in the space where it would be at least problematic for uh, a kind of a wealthy donor to engage I think also just something about the you know linked to the question of this being a finite problem. It's not just it's not just a finite problem. It's tangible. It's it's a building. It's bricks and mortar. It's a thing, uh, and both in terms of the problem and the response, but also in terms of people's uh, relationship to it. There are you know lots of the people who gave to to this um, at all levels did so um, you know from all of the things that I've read because they had a very strong sense of identity and a sense of the importance that Notre Dame played in Paris's wider identity as a city um, you know it's an iconic landmark it's there in the kind of the culture of and the history of the country um, and we're all sort of aware of it for for those reasons whether it's for watching you know uh, Disney's version of the Hunchback of Notre Dame or or whatever so I, I think you know for for a variety of those reasons Although, yes, it's true that the Notre Dame example shows that philanthropy is dependent on a whole range of factors that aren't purely rational. Actually, in its own terms, you can sort of see why it makes sense. Uh, and it's perhaps more complicated than just, oh, well, people like buildings more than they like helping other people. And that's terrible. And I guess in terms of the question of whether or not philanthropy is irrational, the the follow-up question to that is, well, why is it a problem if it is? And that brings us back to that micro-macro point that, that I was talking about before, which is we could sort of be comfortable with the idea that philanthropy at the individual level is irrational or based on all of these kind of hidden psychological or emotional factors. But then at the point at which we have uh we we ex extend to the macro level and sort of see philanthropy as part of the mechanism of redistribution um, of wealth within society if it's dependent on a whole host of those factors and therefore not very well uh allocated or responsive to need that's where we might start to think that that there's a problem um and historically you know a lot of people have got very exercised about that and about that fact that uh philanthropy is not very well um uh, distributed uh, according to need so um i think there's a couple of um 
quotes here. There's one um, that in that Twitter thread I put up from William Rathbone that I think I've mentioned before, so I, I won't read it out on here. Um, but I came across a, a great one uh, the other day when I was reading, um, as you do, uh, a paper all about philanthropy uh, in Cardiff in the Victorian era, um, which is a great paper, actually, from, I think, about 1982, but by uh, Neil Evans. It's called Urbanisation, Elite Attitudes and Philanthropy in Cardiff, 1850-1914, and I, I thoroughly recommend it. Um, but there was a, a paragraph in there that I think really spoke to, to this question, where he said, um, it's essential to leave the rather abstract grounds of the imbalance between resources and needs. Such an emphasis, while it is a central context, does not explain the way in which philanthropy developed. To argue that it did would be to assume, in a simplistic manner, that as needs emerged and were recognised, they were fulfilled to the extent the resources permitted. This would be to ignore the influence which ideology and perceptions of urban society had on the middle class, for their contributions to philanthropy were deeply influenced by the way in which they saw the urban society which confronted them and by the benefits which they could possibly gain from philanthropy. Need was relative to the position of the observer. Humanitarianism had to square with the existing structure of society and the distribution of power. So I think that's basically making that point that in the case of Cardiff, um, the evolution of philanthropy, as in so many other places, is not a simple story of uh, people becoming aware of the need and then the philanthropic response kind of matching that. It's much more complicated than that. And actually, there's quite often a pretty bad mismatch between the supply side and the demand side in terms of philanthropy. And the other one that I just want to flag up in terms of historical quotes, because obviously we all know I love those, um, it goes to this question of um, responsiveness um, as opposed to kind of proactive philanthropy, which is another thing about the Notre Dame um, example that I think uh, that kind of bothered people was not just the nature of the cause itself, but the the actual fundraising ask. It highlighted the fact it's, it's much easier easier to sort of get people to put their money in their pockets in response to a specific event than it is to get people to engage on a longer term basis with um, sort of social issues or environmental issues and this is uh, I had a quote from from my own book there was a section I did in that about the sort of history of fundraising and I just came across a, a fun quote uh, highlighting the, that this has been a problem for fundraisers for a very long time so just said there it will come as little surprise to modern fundraisers that their forebears struggled with the challenge of a donor populace who were eminently willing to put their hands in their pockets in response to a disaster but maddeningly hard to engage on a longer term basis and then a quote from David Owen's History of Philanthropy, um, 60, uh, yeah, 1660 to 1960, where it says, The Indian Mutiny Relief Fund, for which about 475,000 was raised in three, three years, gave further evidence of the immediate and lavish response evoked by distress resulting from service to the nation. The promoters of such efforts were neither the first nor last to discover how much more readily pockets are turned inside out for a dramatic emergency or national crisis than for the year-by-year -year requirements of constructive philanthropy, which is a great summary of a kind of very long-standing problem, um, I think. Um, and just before we move on to the, the next section, just uh, finishing off this bit on, on kind of rationality, on that question of arts and culture versus other causes, particularly sort of human causes like poverty and social justice, I think it's worth saying you know, that is not a new criticism either. And actually, when you look back to some of the most famous philanthropists of, of all time, so people like Carnegie and Rockefeller, they are remembered fondly by many now for the, the sort of the many institutions and buildings that are left behind them but at the time they were heavily criticized um, for focusing on endowing those sorts of institutions libraries and museums rather than focusing on poverty and illness um, which was you know extremely pressing at the time um, and there's some great uh, historical cartoons from the turn of the century magazine puck um, that, that kind of really uh, hammer this point home um I guess the, the the finishing thought on on this for me is if there is a clear imbalance between how we understand philanthropy at the individual level where it is you know at least partly irrational and based on a whole host of human factors and what we might uh, expect of it or want of it at um uh, at a macro level in terms of a system for redistribution within society is that actually a failure of philanthropy or is it a failure of our understanding and expectations i.e you know can we be 
accepting with the fact that philanthropy is irrational and just sort of modify our expectations about what it can do within society as a result or do we go the other way and say well we want it to achieve this within society so actually we need to work backwards and put policies and regulation in place to shape and force philanthropy to be better than it is at meeting need and that is a question that i think continues to face policymakers today okay uh, that's hugely over long but that brings that section to an end uh, in the next section i want to go on and, and uh, talk about the question of donor rewards so stay tuned for that okay so we're back for section two and i will desperately try to keep this one a little bit uh briefer although as you can tell when i start talking about this stuff um i tend to just chunt wrong quite a lot um but this this was the criticism you might remember of saying well you know uh whatever good that we can see in the philanthropic response to um notre dame as a as a kind of uh, tragedy um it's not pure altruism or even genuine altruism because the people who are giving are getting a significant reward themselves in terms of things like enhanced social status and and thanks and recognition um, and this again raises a big question about philanthropy more broadly, which is, you know, is is philanthropy ever genuinely driven by pure altruism, or is it about some form of reciprocity in one form or another, where the donor is themselves getting something back for their gift, whether that's something very tangible or whether it's something more intangible um so there is all kinds of literature about this question so coming from from different perspectives so from social anthropology and social sciences for instance is the work of marcel mouse who um did a lot of work about kind of gift exchange in um, uh, primitive cultures and sort of arguing that actually this is one of the sort of fundamental things that happens within uh, cultures at any level of sophistication that you get gift exchange as a means of sort of cementing social relationships Um, and actually you can kind of extrapolate from that to uh, some conclusions about the role that philanthropy and charity still plays in society today Um, but also I think there's a lot of findings from uh, the sciences, um, so from evolutionary biology about the role of things like uh, kin selection um, in, in altruistic behaviour in the natural world, which we've talked about in an earlier uh, podcast episode, and economics. Um, again, uh, you know, we've discussed previously that one of the challenges that classical economics always faced in terms of explaining altruistic behaviour was that it doesn't really make sense in terms of the the theory of uh, economics as the the kind of uh, rational maximization of utility by rational economic agents um and in order to explain people doing things which help others um at cost to themselves you need to find you know uh ways of turning that back into something that does make sense and the one of the ways of doing that is by uh bringing to light kind of hidden mechanisms of reward so this is where the idea of warm glow comes in um and said you know identified quite strongly with the work of the economist james andrioni but plenty of others have written about it as well and this is the idea that actually when you're talking about things like uh, charitable behavior and charitable giving actually you need to understand it in terms of the the reward whether that be sort of physiological or psychological or cultural that the donor themselves is getting uh, in return for their gift so it's not a pure matter of giving something away with no benefits uh, to yourself um, and how this plays out um, you know culturally and, and historically um, again you know as we've said the the desire for social status um, has been a big part of philanthropy through the ages and actually at times it's been you know uh you've been quite right to expect it as a philanthropist because generally you would get it so um i just wanted to give a quick quote here about um uh, michael thomas bass who was a brewer in the victorian era um and there was a very interesting history of sort of competitive philanthropy amongst the brewing industry in britain at the time um but it, it um it said uh it's been said that if he gave because of the flattery it brought him the derby public library was a good investment an opening day of parades, dinners and adulatory speeches reached a kind of climax when a woman with a baby in her arms ran from the crowd, crying, God bless you, Mr. Bass. May you live to be a hundred years old. Um, so you see, you know, examples like that show that there was a lot of kind of thanks, gratitude and adulation for philanthropists historically. 
Um, and so, you know, a lot of people are arguing, oh, well, this is just, uh, you know, the Notre Dame story is just another case in point of that. And it just shows that it's all basically self-interested. I would probably take issue with that for, I mean, for a number of reasons. One is I'm not really sure that philanthropy is such a great, great way to get good PR these days. I mean, I know that one of the, the sort of hypotheses behind a lot of the criticisms in the US is that, oh, you know, there's been a period uh, in which we the sort of default response to philanthropy has been one of thanks and gratitude. And actually, you know, we're at a point now where we're moving beyond that to one of um you know criticism or skepticism um uh, or or at least kind of scrutiny um but i'm you know i'm not sure of the extent to which i agree outside the us that we ever genuinely have been in a situation where philanthropy has been kind of unquestioningly accepted and i certainly don't think it was in in the uk and in the french context i mean i suspect you know france's general attitudes to wealth and and social division and those sorts of things i'm i'm not sure they are have been that positive or certainly not positive in the way that people in the US have been about philanthropy um, over the last few years and and even if they had you know we're talking about uh, the Notre Dame story in the context where you know that that tide seems to have turned even in the US so the actual general mood towards philanthropy is much more either outright cynical but at, at very at the very least kind of you know skeptical or, or bringing with it a high degree of scrutiny so you know any donor who thought that by giving money uh, very um, publicly to Notre Dame they would sort of be given a gala parade and just unquestioningly thanked I think just hasn't really been reading the newspapers recently and you know this ties into um, a few wider issues as well so one of them is that in the Notre Dame example, as with many other examples of philanthropy recently, one of the criticisms that one gets to usually in about the sort of third or fourth paragraph down of, of one of these articles criticising it is that some of these donors who have been identified um, are, you know, the way in which they've made their money or that their approach to taxation or, or these sorts of things is problematic in its own right. So the idea that we would just kind of welcome, with an open, welcome them with open arms and give them gratitude just for giving to, to Notre Dame uh, is absurd. And this, this kind of question are particularly around bad money so the idea that the way in which money has been made um if that is ethically or morally dubious um may undermine the ability to do good with that money through philanthropy you know is something we've seen in the other big philanthropy story of of recent months around the uh, the Sackler family um and the the donations that they've made and whether the role that that family has played through its pharmaceutical company and the opioid crisis means that all of those donations should be seen as tainted and, and whether you know arts and cultural organizations should be accepting that money you know that is a big issue that's going to rumble on and you know i've said before on the podcast it's very much not a, a new issue um you know the the question of how whether or not you can do good with bad money whether it's better to take the money and attempt to turn it towards good purposes or whether you can't escape the fact that by accepting that donation you you sort of implicitly condone the behavior of the donor and therefore you're involved in some sort of ethics washing uh, situation it you know it's this is one of the big issues facing the philanthropy world at the moment and will continue to be for the next few years one side note in in the coverage of the um Notre Dame um situation uh, I, there was a really uh, great um, article in Alliance magazine um, that was looking from a historical angle at the way in which Notre Dame itself had been founded and making the point that actually, you know, don't prod too hard at the kind of historical way in which these things were funded because actually more often than not they, they're pretty grimy. Um, but there was just a great example in there of, of uh, from the Middle Ages at the time of the founding um, of precisely this question um, so it said you know in an earlier reconstruction when Bo- Bishop Morris de Sully began the reconstruction of Notre Dame in the 12th century the prostitutes of Paris offered funds for a stained glass window Sully refused the gift but not without consulting moralists who advised that 
if acquired discreetly, the gift might not raise public objection. So again, this just sort of shows that that question of whether you can just take the money and and turn it to to good purposes, or whether that in itself uh, is problematic, has been around for for a very long time. Okay, um, let's bring that section to a close. Uh, In the next section, I just want to go on to talk about one of the other ways in which donors can get reward for their donations more tangibly, uh, and that is through um, the tax system, and also to think about the kind of wider question of philanthropy in relation to the role of taxation and tax justice. So stay tuned for that. Okay, so we're back for the final section. Uh, And this one, uh, I want to talk a bit about taxation and philanthropy. So the Notre Dame story, I think, brought to like two distinct but closely related questions about philanthropy and taxation. So the first is about the relationship between philanthropy as a means of redistribution and taxation as a means of redistribution. In the Notre Dame uh, example, basically this is sort of saying, you know, is it appropriate to rely on philanthropy to fund things that clearly are of public value or should it be funded through taxation? So this is sort of, you know, yes, it's nice that people want to dip in their pockets to uh, give money to rebuild Notre Dame, but if we all agree that that is something worth doing, then why on earth wouldn't we just fund it through the tax system? And then the the second um, sort of distinct but obviously related question is should philanthropy itself be rewarded or subsidised through the tax system? So the the first point there, I think, you know, assume for a moment that there weren't any tax breaks on philanthropy. The question of where the responsibility of philanthropy and where the responsibility of public spending through taxation lay would still be valid. But there, there's obviously these days a crossover because most governments around the world have taken a decision to actively uh, offer support for philanthropy and philanthropic donations by giving tax incentives or tax breaks of one form or another um so this kind of raises uh, a question where you know all of us as ta- as taxpayers to some extent have a stake in uh in the in the question of the donations um of major donors because they are getting tax breaks that otherwise would have been money going uh, to the state uh, to make decisions about how to redistribute and this uh, this is you know a question that came up well the first one certainly around uh, the the role of philanthropy and the role of taxation um, the other way in which that tends to come to light is around the question of tax justice which is again probably slightly different but linked which is this is a question this is the criticism that gets levelled at a lot of philanthropy nowadays. And for instance, uh, Rutger Bregman um, at Davos this year uh, got a lot of uh, coverage for his um, calling out of philanthropy. And his argument was essentially, well, you know, all of these people are just engaging in tax avoidance on an industrial scale. So until we solve that problem, it's irrelevant talking about philanthropy so um you know we should just stop it and this question of um whether or not uh rich people should be paying the tax that they owe and whether actually uh, you know if they are fulfilling their social duty through philanthropy that somehow gets them off the hook i mean i think i've been pretty clear in any circumstance where i ask i don't think that tax justice and philanthropy are some sort of zero-sum game i think that absolutely you know everyone at all levels of wealth in society should pay the tax that they owe uh, before you even start to think about uh, engaging in philanthropy um so you know if somebody is engaging in uh tax avoidance of one sort or another even tax evasion and also giving large amounts of money that in no way makes up uh for the fact that they aren't paying the tax that they owe but it's still, you know, that that as I say, I think that's a separate question then from, you know, assume that somebody is paying all of the tax that they owe and then giving money to, to charity. This still leaves a question of, OK, that's great, but what are the things that we think it's appropriate for that philanthropy to fund and what are the things that we think taxation should fund? And also, you know, above and beyond their wider uh, tax bill the specific uh, rebate or or tax breaks or incentives that they're getting for their donations, why is the state offering those and why do we continue to believe that that is something of value and why the rest of us should be comfortable that at least a very small part of our tax money is going towards supporting those donations? Um, 
So on the that first question of what are the things that we fund with philanthropy and what are the things that we fund with the state, um, I mean, again, that's probably one of the other massive questions of philanthropy that if I was asked to identify the three biggest questions about philanthropy uh, would be on the list. And in fact, it's, it's, it's sort of the central uh, question of the whole book that I wrote. So I'm not sure I've got a quick answer to it, if if any sort of answer at all. Um, I mean, I think I would just hint at the fact that, you know, I think uh, taxation and philanthropy should be viewed as two different things, both, you know, coming back to that question of rationality and irrationality, they they come from different places and they are motivated by different things. And I think as a result, they have different strengths and weaknesses. And so if we are thinking in policy terms, we should probably think about how we best use the unique features of either so philanthropy for instance is very bad at um, uh, matching uh, need with supply it's not really very good at ensuring equity or justice across um, the sort of the scale you know the whole uh, uh, scope of, of society or of a problem and that's something where taxation is you know it's sort of designed very much to be redistributive in a in a real sense but on the flip side you know philanthropy um can go above and beyond taxation because it's able to harness things like the the kind of uh, emotional motivations that people have so you might be able to get more money going towards social problems overall if you can find a way of tapping into that motivation whilst also making sure you've got enough money for uh, redistribution through uh, taxation and public spending and also things like aside from the things that are being funded through philanthropy i i believe that there is additional value to in the right circumstances uh, financing things through philanthropic provision rather than state provision because you get things like enhanced agency on the part of the people giving the money or doing the volunteering it can heighten uh, kind of civic engagement and those sorts of things so it's not necessarily just about what is delivered through the philanthropy or the charitable giving it's also about the benefit of that charitable giving to the people doing it and what that means for wider society as a whole so here endeth the lesson on that one but uh, moving beyond that question to the question of the tax treatment of philanthropy um, itself that I think is, uh, I mean, that's a much more complicated question. Sorry, there's an aeroplane in the background that you might be able to hear there. I'm not, I'm not flying off anywhere. Don't worry, it's uh, it's just flying past my thin window. So the this question of the the tax breaks on philanthropy itself would have come up anyway in the Notre Dame story, I think, because inevitably when you're writing these criticisms, you get to a point where people say, you know, not only are these people probably not paying their taxes and we shouldn't be expecting their donations to pay for things that taxation would have done anyway, but also, scandalously, we as taxpayers are subsidising uh, all of their donations uh, even more, so they're, you know, they're getting a personal benefit to it. Um, and that, you know, that is true, and that would have been uh, a perfectly valid um point to make uh, i mean one thing i would like to flag up because i really haven't seen it flagged up very much in this story at all uh, and it's a technical point but i think an important one is that the the structure of the system of uh, philanthropic tax breaks in france is significantly different certainly to it is the way it is in the u.s i mean it's it's exactly the opposite so in the u.s the um the incentive is offered in the form of a tax deduction where you are able to take the amount of your donation off uh, your taxable income before tax is calculated and and therefore you know that results in in a reduction of the amount of tax you pay in France it's in the form of a tax credit where it's amount of money uh, based on a percentage of the donated amount that you can take off the tax bill that you owe that has been calculated already on your you know income and and uh, other relevant monies now the the difference there is that one of the things that's often said about the US situation is that you get this sort of upside down effect where people on the highest rates of tax get a a higher value reward for their giving even for the same size of donation than somebody on lower income now that's not the case in France where somebody on a lower income and somebody on you know millions and millions of pounds giving the same amount actually gets the same value uh, of uh, of incentive because it's just money that's paid off the money that they owe so it doesn't reduce the, the the amount of their taxable 
income uh, and it's not dependent on their tax rate crucially now as i say that's a technical point it doesn't obviate the criticism so you can still make criticisms about the very fact that you're offering justifications for tax breaks but i think it's just important to be explicit about uh, technicalities like this because sometimes i think when uh, taking criticisms that have arisen in the US and then just sort of applying them across the board to uh, philanthropy issues that arise elsewhere in the world, people aren't necessarily careful enough about making sure that they take into account differences of context. And that bothers me because I'm a pedant. So, so that's why I bring that up. But then the reason that I think it became particularly pointed uh, in the Notre Dame case, uh, unfortunately, is because beyond the fact that the incentives would have been offered anyway, um, there were a few representatives of major donors who used it as an opportunity to come out and argue that they should not only get those uh, tax breaks, but they should be given specific, more generous tax breaks to reward them for the fact that they were you know, giving so generously to Notre Dame. Now, that to me is problematic on a number of levels. So first of all, in terms of optics, it's just terrible optics. I mean, in the wake of a of a tragedy like that, where everybody, you know, is kind of feeling the loss of a huge cultural icon, to then come out and sort of use it to argue for um, a tax break that is specifically and obviously going to benefit you or the people you work for just I mean it just looks really self-interested and cynical um, so I don't think it's a very good idea um, I think it's also bad politics I mean you know I'm not an expert on French politics but what I see across the channel in terms of the ongoing protests there around the gilets jaunes and the sort of uh, concerns about elites within French society Against that backdrop, it looks like quite bad politics to use something like the Notre Dame uh, tragedy as as, uh, as an opportunity to try and call for enhanced tax breaks for you or the people that you work for. I think also it's um, if what is being argued for is specific tax breaks for giving to this one instance or particularly to kind of cultural institutions, if that was done, that would be bad policy making as well. Because I personally think that. Uh, the the justification for offering tax breaks for philanthropy it, it only makes sense if you think about it in terms of a generalized subsidy for the support of civil society so it's not about supporting specific things that the state wants to see delivered or would otherwise have to pay for it's about supporting all of the things that are acceptable charitable purposes and thereby having a plurality even if those aren't things that the state would otherwise want to support because it it recognizes the value of associational life and a healthy civil society and actually if the government then says oh do you know what we'll actually offer even more tax incentive for this this small list of causes within that then you you start to see a situation in which the government is picking winners or aligning things with its own political uh, imperatives and that is problematic and that is something that we see happen in various places around the world and i i think it is a bad thing and then finally i think you know calling for enhanced uh, tax breaks for rich donors to to notre dame it's probably bad economics apart from anything else so a lot of the evidence around the way in which wealthy people uh, respond to uh, tax donations shows that they're actually remarkably inelastic uh, in terms of their behavior so actually increases in the um cost of giving or decreases in the cost of giving through the the increases in the value of uh, incentives don't tend to result in in corresponding increases in the amounts being given so actually what you're doing is just sort of buying money that would have been given anyway but just giving more away in tax um so it's not a very effective way of driving more donations if that was the the purpose that you were offering those tax breaks for again a lot of that experimental evidence tends to be done on deduction-based systems rather than credit-based systems, so we do need to be slightly careful. But in general, I think that point holds. Anyway, I think that is more than enough about Notre Dame. Um, and hopefully, if you've uh, stuck with me through my uh, rambling through all that, there's been some things of interest. I think my my sort of finishing Jerry Springer-esque thought for the day about this one 
um, would be that I think this has been an absolutely fascinating story, the Notre Dame one, and coming off the back of the the Sackler controversy, there have been two stories, really big, meaty stories that have brought to light some very fundamental questions about philanthropy and its legitimacy and its role and how we understand it. And as I hope, you know, I've managed to convey uh, in this episode, the Notre Dame um, uh, story in particular, I think, raised a range of different issues that if we disambiguate them um, and start to kind of clarify what the criticisms actually are and look at some of the context, actually they give us a starting point to really delve into some of the the most important questions, I think, facing philanthropy today. My concern, as ever, is that actually when these issues come to mainstream attention, that's good because it brings issues that I think are important and care about to a much wider audience, which is you know generally what I'm trying to do through things like this podcast. Um, but at the same time, it means that the often in those debates, a lot of nuance gets lost and people aren't aware of the wider context and people are often arguing from sort of ideological points of view um, and so sometimes deliberately uh, uh, ignoring some of the nuance and complexity. And so I sort of, I worry that this will harden attitudes on both sides, that, you know, those who kind of start to see themselves as outright critics of philanthropy and those who start to see themselves as defenders and continuing to have constructive debates in that middle ground where you acknowledge that philanthropy has some flaws and failings, but also still believe that it has some worth and value within society might get that much more difficult and that would concern me okay well that finally brings us to a close um so thanks uh as ever for listening if you've been interested in the things that i've been saying i will put some links to stuff i've quoted and mentioned and relevant stuff in the show notes uh, if you're interested more broadly in stuff around philanthropy and civil society, check out the Giving Thought pages at the CAF website. Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, Rodri underscore H underscore Davis for lots of tweets and occasional unbelievable mammoth threads like the one I did about Notre Dame. Um, uh, drop me a line at givingthought at cafonline.org if you've got ideas for things that we could talk about on the podcast in the future, people I could interview uh things you'd like to chat to me about things you massively disagree with me about any of the above um other than that it just remains to say like subscribe tell all your friends about this give us a favorable review on whatever your podcast providing platform is and i will see you next time okay bye